Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale. Welcome to the Deep Dive Midsummer Classic. This will be one of the most interesting, fascinating, worthwhile, uh, evergreen episodes we do all summer. Uh, we have a special guest today. Uh, w- with us, as always, is Andy. Andy, are you ready for the Midsummer Classic? What? I mean, didn't are we pretending like we recorded this like a couple days ago or what? Oh, I'm not talking about the All-Star Game. I'm talking about the Midsummer Classic Deep Dive. Oh, yeah, yeah, gonna... yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I honestly, I didn't know what you were doing there. Oh, okay. No worries. Uh, so yeah, we're no, going... I am super pumped. Uh, it's It's kind of been a letdown. You know, we had Wimbledon. We had... We had the World Cup. Now it's it's pretty much baseball, CFL, and WNBA. Little tour to France. <laughs> but anyway, I've been men, and, yeah, there's some there's some smaller, absolute, just terrible tennis tournaments right now. But yeah, this is that this is the little bridge. You just got to get past this last bridge to football. I know, right? Next week, uh, training camp. We'll start seeing uh, training camp stories pop. Um, and, uh, football, you can smell it, man. It's on, it's, it's coming. It's on, it's, it's, it's on the grill. It's in the smoker. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a fantastic NFL season. Uh, and, um, we'll start rolling out deep dives for NFL probably next week, I guess. Um, but in the meantime, uh, it is with great pleasure that we introduce, um, I'm going to say the rising star of the summer on gambling Twitter, and it's not particularly <laughs> close. Uh, this, uh, this account, uh, the one and only Barry Horse, uh, has been cranking out some absolute gold in uh, the MLB betting space. And um, I'm not 100% sure where I came across your account the first time. I wish I could give someone credit, um, but probably like back in early to mid June. Without further ado, welcome to the deep dive, Barry Horse. <laughs> Appreciate it. Let's do it, boys. It's a great yes. intro. <laughs> All right. Well, um, th- as I mentioned, the 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 your take you've taken the gambling Twitter space by storm, and it, that's <laughs> that's that's uh, um, that's not uh, an overstatement whatsoever. Um, you're posting um, uh, MLB plays regularly. Uh, mm-hmm. These aren't like um, game of the year bombs, you're on a heater, everybody kind of pay attention to me, nonsense. This is like, uh, <laughs> you are running guess. effectively, you, yeah, right, this is like the exact opposite of that. You are running a very public uh, analytical model to predict games and sharing all of this information with anyone that is interested. And I have to give you enormous amount of credit for that. Um, Thanks, There's man. lots of people, yeah, no no worries, man. There are a lot of people that uh, will throw scores out. I'll, I'll, I'll throw kind of my res- generally my, my end re- results of tennis, NBA, football, stuff like that. I'll throw that up there for people to kind of consume. Um, but it takes serious cojones to, uh, <laughs> to kind of do this all as publicly as you're doing it. Um, and so with, with, uh, with significant... Um, uh, with uh, with with the most serious encouragement, follow Barry Horse at Barry Horse Twenty Nine. Uh, check out his model uh, that is all posted daily for free, and um, you know, go to the FAQ page, get involved, get get a feel for what it is that he's doing because the results speak for themselves. Um, 
how's how, how's your how's your year going you just want to let, let the listeners know uh not that bad um let's see started betting games april 14th so we're through 13 full weeks now um there's a lot about saying what even the model is but basically it just gives a probability on a team to win and the system that i've been making public and i don't want to say like recommending or encouraging but just the the system that i've been tracking is betting money lines on teams where my line is a five percent disagreement with vegas's line and if you did that using the percent edge as the unit size then you are plus 449.51 units (laughs) 22.45 roi um Twenty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, say that again. Twenty. Twenty. Yeah, that's uh. Yeah. Solid. Oh my gosh, dude. That is freaking awesome. Um, that's incredible. I'm up uh, like fifty units a year on tennis flat betting, and I think I've made about three hundred and fifty bets, and I have just under about fifteen percent ROI, and it's the most success I've ever had in any sport ever and i feel like a freaking champion and you're hitting 22 (laughs) percent on baseball where we have 12 games a day and it's been going on now for months that is just absolutely spectacular so congratulations we'll give you the golf clap congratulations yeah i was gonna say you can't see me but i'm doing a hat you talked (laughs) earlier about when you first whale you talked earlier about when you first stumbled upon which is, I love how that just works on Twitter, how people just start stumbling upon someone. But it was the, I think you had posted the thread because you talked about, and we talked so long off air that I cannot differentiate what we said <laughs> that and what we recorded. But you, you'd, uh, you'd talked about, you know, you write up some threads sometimes, sometimes rants, sometimes just some information on why you're doing something. And it was the, the Verlander game against the Rays. Probably, I don't know, a few weeks yeah, back, maybe that was a month. A big, a big underdog. That was a big one. And yeah, I I had also bet that. And I'd felt super smart because I bet it <laughs> and it came through. And then and then I read your thread and I'm like, well, I don't feel smart anymore. I mean, I still got, <laughs> I still got my money. But I'm like, uh, I, you know, I had I had reasons, just not 30 reasons like you. <laughs> but yeah, that was just a big fat number that I liked. So. Yeah, and then yeah. yeah, and then and then it was yeah. I think Whale had posted uh, part of that thread in a DM or something, and I read all that. I'm like, well, maybe I maybe I haven't got because that you know when you hit it, what was that? A probably a three to one. It was, that was like, close. Yeah, it was close to that. When you hit one of those, you're like, well, I've got baseball figured out, boys. It's, <laughs> uh, it's all sailing from here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's a lot that goes into it. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, you, you were talking about I have like 30 reasons or whatever. It's just there's a good amount of uh, data points that go into this model. So I just – a lot of people freak out because it bets against Verlander a lot. And I just want to give a little bit of a, I guess, um, kind of an autopsy on that play and why the model stopped valuing it. Yeah, especially because other people who are betting against Verlander are doing it because the public's on Verlander. And that's the only reason. Um, yeah. The um, we'll, we'll get into some of the modeling kind of philosophy. I don't really want to get into sort of the ins and outs of your particular model because that's not really entertaining 
radio. But uh, mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what, when I was telling people, hey, guess what? Barry Wars is coming on the pod. Guys, they're going to talk to them. I got so many questions. People that we chat with, <laughs> people, you know, everybody, oh, you got to ask Barry. Everybody wants to know the same thing. Like, have you gotten over your clinical fear of horses? <laughs> you know what, man? It's, it's still a daily struggle. We, uh, we've got some medication that's helping, but not curing. So, so, um, basically, so basically, the, the puppets only worked for so long, and then you had to kind of go back to the drawing board? I'm still using them. I'm still, using, still them using them at the least okay. weekly. Now, now I feel too. Terrible. We were sitting talking horse racing. <laughs> Probably like maybe trigger warning next time. Yeah, no, yeah. My palms are sweaty. I'm over here shivering. Okay. If you don't get the joke, uh, Barry Horse's avatar is Eric Barry. Mm-hmm. Eric Barry's most v- famous and hysterical story. And you have to go check this out if you haven't already read it or seen the, the NFL films on it. Because this was a while back. This was like 2012, probably. I think they made this. Yeah. Uh, he has a clinical fear of horses. Uh, and he got he, what is it? Equinif- equinophobia. Equinophobia. <laughs> anyway, he uh, it was a problem because the chief says their mascot have uh, have an Indian riding a horse, and uh, he couldn't. Uh, he I can't remember the the chief's horse's name, uh, but uh, he didn't like being on the field with them in the pregame. <laughs> is that yeah. I, how did you come across this? And is is this how you, yeah, you know this I, is all the basis you, of the think, name? I think it was 2012. And uh, my friends and I are all huge NFL fans. We saw that and we we're just dying laughing and just kind of became an inside joke with all of us. And uh, uh, that is actually like the reasoning and what's behind the name. That's what my name came from is uh, Eric Berry's Fear of Horses. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just sounded like a good username at the time. And uh, we're running with it. All right, well, <laughs> sounded like, you- sound like a good idea at the time. You're you're uh, you're on the hook though, because if you ever do something terrible on uh, social media, people are going to be busting out the damn horse. I trusted you. Uh, <laughs> that, that was the funniest, funniest I love part, that part of the part whole of NFL. NFL yeah. Anyway, go check that out. Google Eric Barry fear of horses. Oh, I, just, I just post. I just posted it on uh, on Twitter right now. Oh, okay, good. Good. Work, good and work. it's going to make no sense that I just damn, I didn't put any. Horse. I put no context. Just posted on YouTube. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, I guess you, you had a ton of questions. Yeah. And yeah. the first thing I thought of, of why I do, because I, I don't want to say like I hate math guys. But I, I, <laughs> oh, good. But, well, yeah, no, so, no, no, yeah. <laughs> but I guess I hate blind math guys. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Like they just, I have this model and this is the model and this is the model's bets. And that's yeah. why I do love and maybe you can explain it a little better. I love that you don't bet on, uh, what's it, Baltimore and KC. Yeah. <laughs> because we talk about this so much with so many different guests, especially during football when we talk, even just something as simple as power numbers. Like, yeah. You can't just take power numbers and blindly bet when you have edges and whatnot. You, you actually, you, you got to dig a little deeper, use a little bit of common sense sometimes and, I, I love that uh, this is part of how you do it. So if you want you want to explain Casey in Baltimore, I do like <laughs> – there was a tweet before you do it here, I, unquantifiably shitty. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I believe I've said that multiple times. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like you said, 
I, I am close to an all numbers guy, at least with baseball. Um, like I do, there's a few spots I skip here and there. Um, but for the most part, I, I stay pretty consistent just trusting what I've built. There are two exceptions, and that is the Kansas City Royals and Baltimore Orioles. Um, this isn't something I've reacted to because they've lost a lot. I, <laughs> they're actually my two, two of my three biggest futures were their win season, their total, win total unders. Mm. And uh, I, I've kind of been ahead of this. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And actually the reason I don't bet on them is math-based. It's just not um, my model. So basically like, I would be worried if my model wasn't occasionally seeing value on them because the lines for them have been pretty historically high and uh, they're losing at pretty historic rates. And if my model was expecting them to be this bad, I'd be a little concerned that it would project such an insane outlier and two outliers. Um, but yeah, that <laughs> both teams are just pretty clearly inept and uh, unquantifiably shitty, if you will. And uh, that's just one little wrinkle I throw in. I don't bet on those two teams. I love this. Um, let's talk a little bit about kind of modeling philosophy because I was listening to, uh, and by the way, if you, you know, as you kind of, uh, follow Barry and, uh, get, uh, get a taste of the type of stuff that he posts, which is interesting. And I'm always, always, uh, uh, interested to hear what you have to say. Uh, you started a podcast venture as well, correct? Yes. Yeah. You can follow, and, I think anywhere you can find podcasts, it's just called sports thoughts. <laughs> try to try to have a pretty descriptive name and, uh, <laughs> Me and my buddy Jerry. We just... <laughs> That's a much less interesting story than the Barry Horse name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just our space to explain what we can, see if there's any way we can add value. Either way, it's uh, it's well worth listening to. Subscribe, check it out, give it a give it a a, a, a review. Um, and um, the fourth episode, which you guys recently released. <laughs> Um, have we ever asked anyone to review our podcast no we're doing we're doing we're ours too if you're gonna leave a review leave two we're in the midst of we're yeah. in the midst of a uh, an experiment of just what happens if you just create great content and you just leave it 100 percent organic and you don't signal mm -hmm. boost and you don't ask for shit like how does yeah. it go mm -hmm. like uh, that's the ongoing experiment here with the deep dive um that's but, true we uh, have got some reviews thank you, for you I, yes Yes, thank Love you. It. If you're a listener and you reviewed it, we appreciate you. Um, but the, uh, yeah, episode four, you guys were talking about modeling approach a little bit, and it got me thinking a lot because the way that you approach baseball, at least, and, and to the degree I can tell the way you approach football, uh, is very different uh, from the where I'm coming from, which is kind of mm -hmm. interesting because obviously there's no, like, one right way to do things. Um, right. and you know, your back, you know, different people's backgrounds will kind of inform like the way you're going to problem solve. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, I thought one of the, I guess the most interesting first and foremost fascinating thing you went through, uh, and this is something I've struggled with in basketball specifically, uh, is you're kind of zeroed in on player specific inputs to your model as opposed to kind of team level data. Is that accurate? 
yes, uh, particularly with baseball, it, it heavily relies with who is actually on the field that day. Okay, so the trade-off, and this is a huge trade-off. Because there are people who have been modeling baseball and betting baseball for a long time who will list you will say anyone that's posting lines this, as close to uh, as close to first pitch as you post them doesn't know what they're doing, right? I mean, there's grumpy old men who say that sort of stuff uh, all around the place, and yeah. I've no, I noticed in NBA like I kind of threw my hands up at some point because like there's a por- portion in the middle of the season in NBA where there's all kinds of random scratches. Um, and it'll move lines like crazy. And so your choices are like, okay, you you run your model, you get a predicted you know outcome, and if you have an edge at the time, like do you bet it early before the line starts to move and try to lock in closing value? Or, or do you wait until all of the pieces are in place and you know exactly who's going to play and you take some of that uncertainty out? So like how, do you, how did you go about kind of deciding, I'm going with B in that scenario? Yeah, so... There's, I guess, two reasons. One is, <laughs> people might not believe this, but despite the fact that <laughs> the two biggest parts of my life are Bitcoin and sports betting, I'm actually a very risk-averse person. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I find it betting on something that I don't have holistic knowledge of or something where someone else in the market may have better knowledge than me. So if I'm betting before lineups are announced, it's possible that um, other people in the market know something that I don't. I would say uh, probably like, even. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Like a player's availability is the main example. Um, and so that's just part of my personal risk tolerance. Um, I will. I am planning on doing a full analysis. I've been tracking tracking um opening lines as well as the lines that i'm betting at and seeing a if i could have improved value in those spots or b if i missed any spots by waiting well i know i have but i guess it's the question of how many i missed and uh after this season when there's actually a a big enough sample size i'll go over if that was the right decision or not um so that's reason one and then reason two is pretty straightforward like (laughs) I'm in this to make money, not to be vain, but, um, and the limits that at least the night before and um, That's a huge up until the day of are, are much smaller. So sometimes even like a full order of magnitude smaller, uh, yeah. the night before, um, huge order. Yeah. So I just physically can't get enough down. So question then this, and this is kind of a, this is a tough question. Uh, mm-hmm. have, and have you kind of eyed eyeballed at least like, um, how much of a difference it makes between your estimate of the lineup and what you would project, uh, um, what you would project a price to be, or what we project a win probability to be. How much that changes uh, once you f- see a final lineup, and like, I don't know, what would you ballpark like the biggest differences? And does you know, if you're betting where you have a five percent mismatch, like, are there lots of examples where waiting till the last minute and getting the full lineup takes you from four percent to five percent or five yeah, percent to I, I don't have any numbers I mean, is that common yeah but it, it is just um I, I don't again i don't have any like numbers to give there but just examining it and um from what i can tell a lot of the reasons where my model will see value is when a team is resting 
maybe not the best player because markets often overreact when it's like their best oh, player. Yeah. But Great point. Um, I guess the one good example is betting against the Astros, which it's done a good amount. Um, is adjusting for things like the downgrade from just Max Stassi to Fedorovic, who's the third string catcher. Um, it, <laughs> no, yeah. no one's really going to rush to put in a ticket because of that drop off. But when you add in that, and then maybe Reddick's getting in that field a day off, who's, you know, he's not an all star anymore, but he's still a much better player than, um, say, Jake Marisnik. And that drop off just there with those two players, I think, is something in my model like close to 1.8 wins over the course of the season. Um, wow, and that swings wow, the line wow. like a fair amount um, and oftentimes enough to cross a threshold. And so like a lot of times teams will put out the night before or the manager will say like, yeah, we're giving the catcher the day off because that's the position that gets moved in and out the most. Um, like not many catchers are catching six, seven days a week. Um, and so that information is helpful. But I, I really do feel like at least just examining without numbers, just with my eyeballs, it seems like it is worth it to know who is playing. Okay. So it matters basically. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I'll do my little two minute uh, spiel for why you should model. If you're listening at home, um, if you're not and you're betting sports, um, God bless you. Uh, the, um, it's extremely difficult to kind of sep I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like it's extremely useful to have some projection, even if it's just power numbers. Like we talked in the whole NFL power number episode. I don't really use power numbers specifically, but I'm using sort of that general structure that we talked about. And, mm -hmm. but like, even if you're just using power numbers, having something to kind of take, uh, you know, to challenge your gut, uh, is I think extremely important, uh, and everyone should kind of give it a try to to at least uh, have like a starting point at from which exactly, you, at least a starting yeah, point, right? Yeah, right. And if you're if you have a if you have a good baseline uh, and you're developing a, a reasonable starting point, uh, and your gut is telling you very different is going to happen, then you know what either. You you get you gotta you gotta figure you you have something now to work with as opposed to just oh my gut says this I'm gonna bet this and then you are kind of you know oh you're at the whim of whatever uh, randomness is playing a factor in that outcome right mm -hmm. um, and you know so so by all means get try you know give it a try even if it's just something relatively simple um, and you know it. In that vein, uh, do you have some kind of general rule of thumb or, or advice you would give someone who's just getting started doing modeling? Sure. So I think the, the whole point of betting ever would, would be to get some kind of edge on the market, right? And so like, I, I think it's kind of obvious that to eventually compare what your model is saying to Vegas, you need something that's at least giving a probability of some event occurring. With baseball, what I've been doing is just which team will win. Um, with football, it might be which team will win and by how much. And uh, if <laughs> I don't mean to dumb it down too much or insult anyone's intelligence, but before game, any type of complicated direction here, that's where you should start is figuring out how you can calculate the probability of something happening. Um, 
I think some of the best sources to find an edge over the market um, and kind of exploit uh, flaws or biases that human betters have is first to differentiate luck-based events from skill-based events. Um, so oftentimes a team will have very good results like, like a win-loss record or um, points scored or runs scored, whatever it may be. And often the underlying statistics that they have to get to those results actually suggest they've been fairly lucky or unlucky. And teams that are quote unquote overperforming or underperforming are, are good teams to fade or bet on uh, respectively. Um, so like one, one example that my baseball model yeah, I was going to say, does your model take any like Pythagorean win, you know, projections mm -hmm. in the counter? It it doesn't uh, because that actually is using exactly the runs that have been scored. So that's not a bad yeah. place oh, to start. Okay. In fact, if if you are a novice, that would be a good place to start. Just look on Wikipedia or Google about Pythagorean expectation. Um, there's actually ways you can do better. So. In baseball, for Pythagorean expectation, all you'd be looking at is runs scored and runs allowed. Um, but what if you've actually scored more runs than you should have, or yeah. allowed fewer runs than you should have? So there's actually a really good predictive saver metric oh. called base runs, um, which basically is doing what I'm <laughs> explaining, like looking up what they should have scored runs-wise and what they should have allowed runs-wise based on a bunch of underlying statistics. Um, and so that's one really good, for baseball, one really good example. Um, so like things that can cause this, for just for an example on the field, is maybe a team is just getting very unlucky with how they're sequencing their performances at the plate. So maybe every home run they hit always comes with no one on base, yeah. or they always get the bases loaded and then have their bad hitters come up and uh, don't score any runs. Um, or maybe on the flip side, a team is hitting all of its home runs with the bases juiced and with two strikes and two outs. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of things <laughs> that can lead to, I guess, misleading results. And so you want to look at the process of how teams got there. Um, Dude, so the that, Royals that, I were guess, that team. <laughs> the Royals were that team two summers ago. I'll never forget it. They were lucking their way out of out of every freaking scenario you could have imagined. <laughs> it's just like and, it's uh, just like the the Falcons, you yeah. know, crossing sports. The Falcons conversation we had the other day. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Now, I now in those okay. situations, th those aren't purely luck based. So there is a degree of skill, and and of course, like a hitter should be performing better when there are men on base because the pitcher a is fatigued because if there's men on base he's been throwing some pitches um b he's likely pitching from the stretch which he's less effective in um c he can't usually walk the hitter so he has to actually give him strikes to hit so there's reasons that there's still a skill involved here but there's still um a level ex of expectation that you should have that some teams succeed or uh, or sorry, exceed or fall below. I love this. Okay, so you just brought up a couple things which I think are fascinating look behind kind of the analytics of all of this. 
which are yes, there are statistical uh, trends and and um, signals, so to speak, that you can pick up from the data, um, mm-hmm. but almost certainly there are underlying reasons why certain things are happening right, right. and you, if you can separate out luck based and skill based great like you're just taking out some of the uncertainty around like the baseline projection and so and this kind of speaks i guess a little bit more towards toward my philosophy with modeling in general which is like i'm not necessarily trying to get down to the nearest hundredth with my baseline projection i just want to be in the right ballpark and then right. and, and i want it to be kind of a representative of like a long-term average right mm-hmm. and, I, and i want it to be relatively situation neutral my first baseline and then from there i want to have like a n- bunch of dials that i can tweak uh to account for what i know is going on situationally that i think may positively or negatively impact offense or defense or um you know things that you know you know rest uh that may affect the whole team travel that may affect the whole team uh and injury that may have an impact on you know one side of the ball or the other right and try to just turn those dials and i completely admit that like by not being uh as true to the data as possible um i i'm introducing an enormous amount of subjectivity and like, mm-hmm. but I'm li- I'm willing to live with that, and especially in the NFL, I'm li- willing to live with that because we're talking about small sample sizes anyway. And right. so it's not like you really have you know some broad database to tell you that like this left tackle is worth this many points on the spread. And one other right? important distinction with football is, I would argue, motivation plays by far the biggest factor in football than any other sport. Like I in baseball, that at all. when you're at the plate, you're always trying to hit the ball. <laughs> you're, yeah, just, you're, yeah, right. you're always trying There's to get the out. Too many damn but, games to be factoring that yeah. much motivation in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But with football, there's certainly a case to be made. There are um, games that mean more to some teams than others. That's absolutely so true. That, that definitely makes sense to have dials like that. Tennis is kind of like that in a, in a lot of oh, ways, too. Yeah. It's huge. As we're learning this week, <laughs> oh, Wimbledon, my God. Wimbledon just ended, and we're all, having all these tournaments with relatively low prize pools, relatively <laughs> low prestige, no points to be earned. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, right. it's like why people are there, what their what their motivations are, why they're even in the tournament. Are they just trying to get reps, so they're trying to Zero make Zero motivation from anybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just wild. It's, it's, it introduces so much uncertainty if you don't try Some, uh, to factor that in. Some of the questions, you know, you just asked, and we'd gone on a hell of a tangent, which was a good thing. But the, going back to when you, Whale, had asked about, you know, starting, you know, where to, a starting point. Sure. And he, you know, you'd kind of touched on what you're looking at for, you know, how to how to start by looking for the probability of an event to happen or not happen, and that's that's a just a super great way to simplify, kind of how models work, how your model works. I guess I think a lot of questions people would have would be in the mechanics of it too, as far as, you know, most people can sit down and run an Excel spreadsheet. But if they, let's say they start with simply looking at a few stats they pull or scraping some data, you know, man, we talked about this too, how doing it manually versus that, versus actually scraping from some right. website. Where would you go from there? Let's say you got a guy that doesn't have a, 
a nerd degree from UCLA, <laughs> and doesn't you know it's not a computer science. Sure. Yeah. What would be the next step based on? So, let's, let's say you got a guy that's pretty good at Excel. I mean, would you just? Yeah, like, let's say like a some... like a water like a water polo player from Stanford or something. Yeah, <laughs> like a real like a real dumb just below one, just know? below I mean, SC. Would you um, learn some, some Visual Basic to so use an Excel, I, or, or was there some coding that I, you easily learned that would that would help in this sort of scenario specifically? That's a good, great question, Andy. And I've asked it a lot. And I, I typically Asking intentionally for answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I intentionally answer it open ended because I think that's most helpful to the person asking the question. Um, because I think when, if they just go about Googling it themselves, so my recommendation and how I, I physically build mine is with Python and R primarily. Um, and those are two great languages, I would say, if you want to do anything with data science and sports or data science in general, really. And uh, I think if I just leave it open-ended by saying Google, like Python 101 or how or intro to Python or intro to R, uh, going through those tutorials and Google's great. Like I'm sure good content will float to the top. Um, going through those on your own without me holding the hand through every specific package and library I use, uh, will actually like in the long run be a lot more helpful. Um, nice. so that's how I go about it. So it might be misleading. So what I link publicly, is a Google Sheets, and it's getting pretty cumbersome for everyone to use, myself included. Um, that isn't the model. That's like a public way for me to track the performance of the model. But a lot, of, like all the hardcore, interesting, fun stuff is behind the scenes um, in my own uh, repository. Right on. Um, uh, yeah. You and you it's use that. Uh, you go. You you go and scrape from fan graphs and baseball reference mostly? Yes. Is it because yeah. their formatting is the easiest to import? Uh, yeah, they're both, both very portable, um, very really clean data. Baseball reference goes back decades. Um, uh, I have like reliable data back to the 60s. This, 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 but this, uh, this plays into a really important question I had for you. Uh, mm -hmm. When you're getting data like that, though, that goes back historically, and you're trying to build a model, you mm -hmm. are getting data that is a large part influenced by changes along the course of the season. I don't know if that makes sense, but basically, like you, you don't have the data that was available at the time that the, you know, right before the event happened, right? So you don't, you, you have a little bit of an obscured picture. And I've seen tons of really sharp people take good data sets try to build models, you know, do, do, do relatively sophisticated modeling, backtest them, come up with like, you know, performance that is just truly unbelievable, right? And then try to forward project it and they're not getting the same type of performance. And I've always kind of pointed out like, you know, hey, look, like you can't use data that is influenced by the events that happen themselves to try to predict those events. Of course, you're going to get great results, right? And so right. I guess, how, how do you kind of specific, did you, learn along the way building models like what was important inputs and variables and things like that or you know is it as simple as you can take a season's worth of data and effectively play it forward uh in order to kind of you know i guess truly test things as opposed to just back testing right so 
the how should I say this? Um, my knowledge of sports is actually not that useful for what I've built. Um, I watch a ton <laughs> of sports, and I like I love it. I watch pretty much every game um, that I bet on, and it's awesome. But really, what I've built is not to go on Andy's bad side, but it is kind of the one hundred percent nerd stuff. So. Um, all well, of the I, player I like, projections. I like nerd stuff that wins money. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> um, all, all of the player projections are built by basically saying each player has 15 or 20 possible career paths. And uh, we can project each of these possible career paths with X, Y, and Z probability. And oh, the projection is just giving a expected value of what their career will be from this point forward not oh, the most likely one or not man. like 100 to okay this player alex bregman really looks like this random shortstop in the 1980s so we're just going to say they're going to have identical careers it's yes. setting any yes. number of possible um fits giving a probability to each one and taking that average and, and really when all this is done <laughs> it it it's basically like assigning war to a player. It's kind of like not that hard. <laughs> it, there's pretty clearly like a tier of replacement level players. There's the Mike Trout tier, which is one person, and he's clearly like above everyone else. And then there's Kenneth, kind of like Kenneth a tier Reed. of 10 good players. And all, as long as you're within like an integer of what it should be, like differentiating. Altuve between a three-win player and a three-point-five-win player doesn't not actually like meaningful. change the results of them. It, it won't even change like that much of one game, let alone like a one hundred sixty-two game season. Um, mm -hmm. Wow! And so, How, yeah, I, I don't know if I went on too long no, a tangent there. No, but. that was perfect. You you said a couple of things that just clicked a bunch of stuff in in into place as I was thinking. So basically, like you're kind of effectively shape fitting or like image mapping more or less where you're just yeah. finding similarities over yep. the course of historical patterns and and but not just you know deterministically picking one but trying to kind of logic tree it so to speak so yes. uh, and of course fa fascinating all, okay. the the players from they're linearly less predictive as we go back in time so like it's not that important that you've been that similar to some random outfielder in the 70s um, the, the sport was completely different. And so each, each data set is adjusted for like league scoring factor and how everything was back then. Wow. Damn. That is a lot of work. Okay. That's all, <laughs> this all makes sense now how this has been so successful. Okay. I, I get it now. That's fantastic. Uh, let's, let's talk about, uh, um, let's talk a little bit about, um, uh, you know, the, the, MLB in general. So is, is okay. baseball your first love as a sport? Not at all. It's not at all. it's actually oh, wow. definitely my last love. <laughs> not wow. in terms of order, but most recent. Um, I Unlike every kid who seemingly everyone plays Little League, I did not play at all. Um, mostly the sport I played was basketball. Uh, but the two sports I've grown up watching and like since I was really little was uh, basketball and football. Baseball is basically has been like a five-year love. <laughs> <laughs> when you, when, I mean, when you say it's the probably the easiest to 
I mean, and maybe not the easiest overall, but in your mind and with your skills and what you know, the easiest for you to mathematically model probabilities in. Oh, by far. There, there's many advantages for baseball, but like you said, a it's the most uh, modelable, if that's a word. Um, that's the, and it has the biggest sample size too. So if you can figure yeah, out so your biggest edge, sample you size, really, ha- you can hammer the, the best down. lines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's not great. not just the fact that you get so many fits, but when you have a sample size that big, you're more likely to see your positive edge uh, show itself over like a larger sample size than in a shorter NFL season where you might just get lucky and lose money in a season. Mm, right. Yeah. So I know about and that. By far, <laughs> by far my favorite, and anyone who's had a bad beat in NFL, is the fact that when you're betting on money lines, your incentives are perfectly aligned and identical to the team you're betting on. And you like when you bet on a That's team, a like point. an NFL underdog who's, um, you know, plus four, and they're losing by six with a minute left, and they drive all the way down to the 15 or something. If they just kick that damn field goal, they cover. But of course, they're not because they're trying to win, and they'll go for the touchdown and not get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll kill you. Uh, let me ask the uh, the it, from anyone who is kind of casually following you, they would assume you're an Astros fan. Is that correct? I have been for like 16 months. <laughs> okay. I, right. I kill right. I kill bandwagon fans too. I feel bad saying that, but when you're yeah, when you have say, capital you're a on them, I yeah. think I uh, I think it's fair to call me a, an Astros fan. I love it. That uh, <laughs> so you you captured some amazing success with them last year and you feel like going forward, they still have uh, value in the futures market. Yeah. And futures markets very rarely do. Um, but I, I still, as I think they're last I checked, they are the betting favorite. Um, and I still frankly think anything longer than about plus 300 is value. Uh, well, really, anything longer than plus 200 is value. But once we get to plus 300, plus 350, you'll probably be better just rolling over uh, series price winnings, like artificially creating a parlay of their ALCS odds, ALDS odds, ALCS odds, and World Series odds. Is, um, there, a, is there a path, though, that is unfortunate that does not get you there? Like if they somehow play both wild card teams and then someone lousy from the NL instead of like the Dodgers and they get to the odds. Um, yes. But when I say that it's because I've weighted it by the probabilities of ah, okay. getting got it. Price. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Well, the Astros are about plus 400 ish, uh, depending yeah. on where you look to win it all. They're about plus 235 to win the mm-hmm. AL. Um, any reason to only look AL versus uh, World Series? Because those are surprisingly close in my mind. Definitely not. I would say for sure bet the World Series. Um, I see the this whole league landscape a bit like the NBA this year where people kind of knew all year the real finals were the Western Conference finals. Um, there, so just an hour or two before this podcast, Machado has gone to the Dodgers. Um, that really does not change much. I think actually, like, the market's going to overreact a lot to that. Um, oh, wow. Okay. If, if DeGrom moves 
to one of like three or four NL teams, really the Cubs, Dodgers, um, maybe one of the NL East teams that that could make it interesting, but that sounds really unlikely. Uh, not that I'm an inside source or anything, but it doesn't sound right here like, first to grab yeah. Chicago going to yeah. the North side. That, that would make me that's not crazy about the AL pennant. Uh, but yeah, I, I really think they'd be pretty considerably something on the order of minus 150 to minus 175 in the World Series if oh, they wow. got there. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Uh, they, and they'll most likely have home field advantage over whoever comes out of the NL? Yes. How, how yeah. important is home field advantage to you in modeling in general? I meant to ask that earlier. Uh, yeah. yeah. So pretty much every MLB season since like, I think I have since like 1908 or something, other than one really random I think it was one of the strike seasons. Um, pretty much every season, other than that one, home teams have won 54% or between 53.9 and 54.1. And so home field is just 8% edge. Got it. Because of the 4% on each side. Got it. Um, okay. The, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I can, I can kind of go into the Astros. Like, I think uh, people... I like when I see lines and I at least have a reason for why they're so much farther off than what I think they should be. And I kind of see why there is that the Red Sox and Yankees and Cubs and Dodgers are always going to be the most heavily bet teams. And so I think that's kind of part of books allocating risk. Um, And yeah, the Astros, I I don't think it's appreciated enough how (laughs) it's absurd to say because of their record it's outstanding, but I don't think it's appreciated enough how unlucky they've been Um, using base runs that sabermetric I talked about before. They should be 67 and 32 actually. Um, Boston should be five games behind that. New York should be six games behind that. Um, Pythagorean expectations, hilarious. They're they're playing 703 baseball right now, like above 700. Um, so just on Pythagorean expectation, they should be 70 and 29. Oh my God. It's comical. Um, yeah, they've done this without McCann who catcher is definitely the position that's hardest for that. That's easiest to overlook a drop off because there's so much to like, this is where not being 100% a nerd helps is understanding some catchers really just catch some pitchers really well and call the game and manage the game well more than any batting stats or pitch framing stats can tell you how important they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. And McCann is really that guy. I know that sounds cheesy and unanalytical to say, but he really is that guy on the team. Um, mm. He's he's missed about a month here. He's going to miss another month. Um, but he'll be back. Correa is, I think, coming back next week. Um, there's a pretty big drop-off from him to Marvin Gonzalez. Um, yeah, that, uh, really anything doing with <laughs> any interesting stats says they're pretty discernibly the best team in baseball, and there's kind of a gap after that. So there's some I, conventional I'd like it, I'd like it to yeah, just go, go the same as last year. I've got a Dodgers per, or I've got a Dodgers future. I've got an Astros future. I had them both last year again. You just get to the World Series and watch them both make money. 
Kick your yeah, feet up, enjoy yeah, the series. Just enjoy kick, the kick yeah. your feet up and enjoy the series. That's not that. Yeah, well, that's yeah. one thing that John a lot of people... only had the Astros last year. He was... Remember, uh, yeah, we've had him on the program. He was... That was the most stressful 10 days ever for him. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was me. Um, <laughs> a lot of people... That was uh, close. A lot of people push back and say... I, I don't think anyone's repeated since the Yankees 2000? The year could be wrong, but I think it's been at least 15 years. And they push back and say, oh, it's so hard to repeat. Um, if you actually look at league history, <laughs> I, I, you said the Astros are around plus 400 right now. I, yeah. I know more than 25% of champions in MLB history have been repeat champions. Um, so just on that alone, there's value. But I think like if you look, uh, the Astros, I think there's only been one other team since 2010 that had more than 45 wins at this point in the season. And the Astros have 60 something, mm. um, 64. So like people say, you know, Mr. Horse, no one's ever won back to back. Yeah. They all <laughs> suck. <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of unfair to use that as like a predictive trend when you're not looking at the actual quality of the teams the year after because a lot of them lose their best players after having career years where the Astros really are bringing back an identical team, but with probably the fourth best pitcher in the AL, Eric Cole. Right on. The, um, let me ask you a little bit about this time of year for baseball. There's some conventional mm -hmm. wisdom that says like, okay, after the All-Star break, like things get wild. Like it's, yeah. it's notoriously tough to profit in the mm -hmm. kind of the week after and the couple weeks after. And then in August we see, all kinds of just crazy streaking, right? Like, I, yes. what was last year? Like, the Astros re wrap, wrapped off, like, 20 out of 21 or something crazy. And yeah, the they, Dodgers, that was their home record. That was their – okay, then the Dodgers went on, like, a like a ridiculous winning streak and then, a, like, a like a completely inexplainable losing streak. Like, mm -hmm. do you have – are you factoring in, like, time of year now coming up? as we get into this time of year, are you expecting the Astros to put together a type, like a, like a, a little bit of a heater here? Uh, just so there's, based on there's luck two and points in that. Um, one is a whole discussion on momentum. Uh, I guess I'll start there because I can deal with that quickly. Um, a lot of people criticize like nerdy math types like myself for not factoring in or appreciating momentum or denying its existence. I don't at all deny its existence. As someone who's played sports and watched sports forever, it's totally apparent when a team's clicking on all cylinders or the opposite when a team just can't buy a hit. Um, I just reject the idea that it's possible to predict when those runs of momentum will start and when they'll end. Um, and so that, that's not part of the model whatsoever. Momentum or hotness or coldness is not part of it. And I, I totally like admit that that could be a flaw and maybe there's a way I'm missing, but it's very difficult in any analysis I've ever done to predict those runs of momentum. Um, and then one other point I just want to make that's kind of more directly answering your question, I think, is I actually am not planning and I, I'll make a full announcement of this. I'm actually putting out a, uh, I guess, a mid-season report tomorrow or the day after. Um, but I'll make an announcement of this. I was not planning and I'm still not planning 
on betting on single games in September. Um, that's less to do with the second half being inherently weird, like you mentioned, and more to do with one of the biggest sources of my of the edge that my model has had over the market is pretty obviously like disagreements on certain teams or certain pitchers. And when we get to the point in September where we kind of have five months of what guys have done, uh, I think it's reasonable to think my model might just be wrong on some of these guys where it's disagreeing with the market. And maybe by then the market will actually be the side that's right more often than not about what these guys are. Like in, in other words, I'm saying when we have five months of this guy doing either really underperforming or overperforming, then maybe at that point the model is just wrong about him and it's being overly stubborn. Makes sense. Um, that's so, that's yeah. funny. Like my head went to a totally different place when you said September, not but as far as yeah, yeah I'm just, thinking like randomness of call ups and shit. The, the yeah. well, the randomness yeah. of teams well, that are completely out that are bringing, and you know, you said you you do you do handicap or or model for players in and out of the lineup, but once you start getting call ups. Boy, that it's hard to grab some information on. You know, yeah, the model actually shockingly has done really well with first-year play. Like, it's pretty accurately projected. Um, a lot. It's built heavily on a lot of AAA and AA stat. Like, it really does have everything for all the players. Wow. Um, like, even just Juan Soto this year, nineteen-year-old who's killing it. It's it's been very high on him, which is shocking for a nineteen-year-old who has like no MLB stats before this season. But uh, it, it's done fairly well with the call-up. So that, that's actually not the reason I'm skipping September. Um, Interesting. That is a good point. That's yeah, you, That took such a hard left turn in my brain. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, I, I've, I, heard I people saying, say about, I've heard people say about NBA too, but you can tease out the right side and the right, especially totals uh, in NBA mm-hmm. uh, in the last month of the season if you just kind of get a feel for who's trying on what night. And you can, you yeah. know, that it's, it's uh, you know, people will say, oh, you know, there's, there, you know, the, the, the market is more predictive than anything you could model at this point. But then you look and still like totals are missing by 18, 25 points, you know, in mm-hmm. certain spots. And you're like, well, you know, if you can find those, you can still, you can still, you know, make, make, uh, make money on that. That's, um, a, that's, that's a hell of a segue. Um, you don't do <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you bet money lines. And granted, your your model puts out percentages saying which money lines have advantages. You play run lines and the minus 1 run lines. Mm-hmm. But you don't touch totals at all. And why? Uh no. So I totally admit that I think it's actually possible to be as or more efficient than uh, betting totals than what I'm doing. Um, and like, it's a total, totally feasible, like thing you can model. Um, there's basically two reasons. Uh, one is again, not to sound overly greedy, but the limits are much smaller. Um, ah. and so to put in the time to make that much, is just oh, really? not that interesting to me. Are and you only two, betting Bitcoin? Um, she no no okay <laughs> i think it's safe for me to say no yeah okay. no okay okay but uh my second reasoning is actually because yeah, he's betting ethereum too oh. <laughs> <laughs> my uh yeah, my second reason is 
that it's it's much more labor intensive, at least the way I would do models. So for totals. So the way any model I would build for totals would be very heavily reliant on weather data. And mm -hmm. uh, a lot of like weather data is like pretty unreliable. Um, and there's like basically it changes a lot is what I'm trying to say. And the weather projections change a lot all the way up until first pitch. And so like I'd kind of just have to be sitting on my computer all day waiting to like see, oh, now it's saying there's going to be 50 mile hour winds. Oh, now it's down to six it, or it's changing direction or whatever. Um, and so like you definitely could do it. I just think at least the way I've thought about doing it would require a lot of work and not to that sound lazy, sense. but what I'm doing is working. So. No, I think you're bringing up <laughs> another important thing, which is like a good tip for intermediate folks in the modeling space. Like if you've dabbled with models, if you've learned some of the probability theory, if you've kind of taught yourself like how to import, you know, import reasonable, usable data and you're, you know, but you just haven't broken through like a huge, a huge differentiating factor for me modeling wise was like doing it in a way that I could just do a routine that wasn't like homework. Right. Like if you can right. just find the, you know, make it easy on yourself. Don't, don't make it like yeah. pulling teeth, like automate you know, as much as possible, automate as much. Exactly. Set the whole season schedule ahead of you. You know, you, we already mm -hmm. know what every, every team is going to mm -hmm. play on what day and what park, like that's already known. Just like put it all in a database once and, you know, you don't have to do manual entry every day on like, you know, who's playing what games, like find a resource. Like baseball reference was a great one when I was dabbling with the, MLB modeling last year just as a fun kind of time killing article writing exercise. I was like, dude, these guys are great in the way that they kind of aggregated starting pitchers. And then, you know, the, yeah. it was pretty straightforward to like set up call up functions where you could use their same database or Fangraphs database with the same pitcher names and things like that. Like to whatever degree you can automate things and make it easier on yourself, you're going to find more success in modeling. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's real easy. I feel like the only people that really kind of get into modeling are ones who kind of luck into good results early and then stick with it. And then mm -hmm. the longer they do, they like figure out how to tweak it so that they can continue to model without being laborious. Um, That's a great point. And, don't, don't be discouraged by or overly encouraged by results. Make sure you're analyzing the process that you've built your model with. Yeah, and that goes hugely into the luck versus, uh, uh, mm -hmm. you know, skill-based uh, results and, um, you know, just knowing, hey, I got lucky on these. <laughs> Not like, hey, I'm on a heater. I, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, yeah. Fascinating stuff. The um, Okay, so the um, let's talk about the NFL a little bit because this is really where our – Can I oh, can I spend 20 yeah, sure. seconds on one other baseball point? Um, Wait, I just, go for it, man. Cool. I just want to yeah. bring up, I'm seeing Tampa Bay at 700 to one to win the world series. I think someone, one of my buddies said he found 900 to one. Um, I just want to point out if you want a lottery ticket, that's about as, as good as I can find in any sport in any market right now. Um, base runs, the saber metric I brought up loves them at they have them as the sixth best team. They're, uh, 575 winning percentage so they should be 55 and 41 by base runs um of course when you're betting a future there's path and how good the team is and their path is tough they they're basically gonna have to beat out seattle 
Um, but Seattle has very obviously been the luckiest team in baseball so far. I think it's far from a lock that they've um, locked up the second wild card spot. And and one other small thing is, and this has nothing to do with the model, but Tampa Bay has been playing a lot of first and second year players, um, mostly first year players actually. And in theory, their worst should be behind them. Often, like when rookies come up, they struggle and then they kind of figure out how what their routine is and how like life in the bigs is like. And so just on that alone, they, they should see some improvement from their individual players. Um, but they're also just materially a damn good team. Um, so I, I really like 701. But any, yeah, chance they, uh, any chance they catch the Red Sox or the Yankees? We've seen the Red Sox uh, uh, in this exact position fall out of the playoffs and not that I, long ago. I'm careful in this space to say anything uh, is zero or 100% chance, but that's pretty damn close to 0% chance. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Who do you think between the uh, Yankees and Red Sox uh, takes the uh, – uh, takes East. I guess if I had to pick, it would only be the Red Sox because of the wins they've already banked. I think I think they're four and a half games up right now. Um, but th- I think my model has them. Oh wow, uh, model actually has the Yankees winning four more games than the Red Sox in the second half. So that's actually dead heat. Um, tight one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. I thought I thought I would be projecting them to be about even in the second half, and so lean to the Red Sox. But yeah, Andy, have you heard either of those teams talk about making a move at the trade deadline? There, boy, it's like when we talked about Reddit earlier. There's just so much shit to yeah. push. The, the Yankees will almost certainly get well, a starter. The Yankees are I'd always going to make a move. Yeah, interesting. It's just, so it, there's it, not really much out there. There's Cole Hamels and Jacob Degrom and. Other than that, just a lot of meh. Like well, it's, a, it's a seller's market yeah. right now for pitching. Yeah. If you have an outstanding Bitcoin invested future on the Astros, what piece that the Yankees pick up gives you the chills when you wake up and read Twitter in the morning? Absolutely no one other than DeGrom. DeGrom's the only one who could even change anything about how I feel about Houston. And even okay. then, I, Houston would still be favored. and just be uh, a bit more. More of a butthole clinch. <laughs> got, got it. Got it. Um, okay, let's talk. Let's move over a little bit to the NFL here. Um, so, going back a little bit now to model philosophy in the NFL. Uh, I'm currently like in the weeds. Whenever I'm thinking about NFL this time of year, I'm like breaking down the schedule. I'm trying to evaluate uh, situational angles because, like I mentioned when we were talking about kind of approach. For me with the NFL, I give up when it comes to player level predictions because if I can't get my head wrapped around the uncertainty of it because it compounds. The way I do things, it compounds and it just gets so large that it's just like anything could happen. You could have sure. 59-0 Patriots or 0-59 <laughs> Browns, you know? And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, so so I try to kind of stay more on the team level uh, basis and I try to find statistics that are opponent-adjusted I try to find statistics that, um, you know, are have reasonable, reliably predictability going back through the years. Assuming you had the numbers at the day of the of the event, right? Mm-hmm. Not just like the season end and try to predict backwards. Right. Um, and from there, then I start to turn the knobs, so to speak. 
And a huge one for me is like situational uh, handicap effectively. And so I kind of have this hybrid where I'm using numbers to come up with a projected score, but then tweaking based on, you know, kind of subjective evaluations of the situation. Mm -hmm. Do you do the same sort of thing when it comes to NFL or do you really rely truly on the, the numbers you have for the players? Um, I don't, but I, at least I guess it depends how you define situational. Um, okay. So, so great, great, good example. Um, uh, the Denver Broncos start the season there. They are um, at home through the end of the post preseason. And then they get their first two games at home uh, in, uh, in the regular season. Okay. Right. And so, so they, they just get a whole month. month. Yeah. yeah. They're just in a whole month in, in Colorado. They'll be at, el- at altitude. Things will be, you sure. know, things are looking great for them uh, in that second game where they host the Raiders uh, who are coming off a home game versus the Rams and then going up to altitude early in the season. Generally when conditioning, you know, we've seen these players like conditioning is not mm-hmm. sharp early in the season. So travel t- tends to wear on them more, especially when you go to altitude or you go to humidity and you're, if you didn't, train there right and so i got Mm -hmm. the raiders circled as a fade that week two spot looking for them to underperform in denver like do you capture do you try to do you are you trying to predict um how much you're going to misfit the baseline i guess right like there's an uncertainty around the baseline are you trying to figure out i'm going to come in one standard deviation below because x y and z are happening in this particular game no in exactly. short, no. Can I okay. can I ask you, Whale? <laughs> There's a lot of talking for a no, Whale. <laughs> I'll go into because there's a lot I can say actually high level about how my model works. I think that's different than most. But can I ask you, Whale? In situations like those, do you have predefined spread point values for like a, a third straight road game or or whatever, or is it kind of like? Okay, this is a bad spot. Maybe take a point, point and a half, or go down to like the next key number from like a six to a four. Or so my, how do you do that? My inputs are efficient, offensive and defensive efficiency on a team level, right? And mm-hmm. I force given situations. I see an average over the course of the last going back to about two thousand when they kind of changed the rules about pass interference. I see the statistics are all kind of relatively stable, and I'm mm-hmm. saying okay. On average, in this given situation, a team underperforms by one standard deviation, right? Got and it. so if the if Raiders are coming in as a 65th percentile offense, I'm going to downgrade them one standard deviation. They're going to be – they're going to – I'm going to expect them to perform at a 42 percentile level, right? Mm. And then same on defense. I'm going to downgrade them one standard deviation, and they're going to be at a – 31 percentile level right and then from there i'm literally combining my offensive um efficiency for the raiders and the defensive efficiency for the nine uh, for the uh, for the broncos is going to get me to you know the 40 you know f- to the 38th percentile then i go to a distribution of points scored go to the 38th percentile and i'm projecting 14 points got it so, without a shitload more research, like quantifying those situational spots is pretty difficult. Yeah, it's it's Definitely. just it's such a different, such a different beast so than baseball. I, I guess I might revise my answer. I, I don't in building the number for each game. I do not, uh, and I, I fully concede all that stuff matters. Um, I use my model. I guess the way I like 
filter out those games is just with my head and ball sack. <laughs> like Makes when, sense. Yeah, yeah. when I, I spit out the numbers and if I see with my eyes, like, Oh my God, that is a horrendous spot. I don't, I don't think I can back <laughs> even this week. Then I don't. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, and we, and we run into that all the time where even just the power numbers say, boy, you should, you should really bet on Buffalo this week. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's two a points. Bit, it's a bit like right. the Orioles and Royals thing with baseball. Oh, but exactly. More subjective. It's a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yep, and we yep. totally expected you. We were waiting. We had a little side bet. When will he say ball sack? <laughs> <laughs> he hit the over. Barely. Um, okay. Go. So, so, uh, I guess, so, so speaking of speaking to your NFL model philosophy stuff, I guess, compared to how I describe how I would go about modeling, how do you differ? Sure. So I think most people start with some type of power ratings where you can just say, okay, the Pats are eight points better than a league average team. The Browns are six points worse. So that's a 14 point spread and it's in new England. So add three or three and a half, whatever you use. Right. Um, that is part of mine, but for each individual game, uh, there's a adjustment of variable size for stylistic or matchup advantages between the two teams. So, uh, back to baseball for a quick second. The model does not care if a team is like particularly well equipped to hit against high velocity right handers or finesse lefties. It's just saying this team is this good at run prevention and this good at run production. So they're this good in football. I do that. And then depending on who they're playing, football is a sport where matchups like having a certain type of uh, like maybe a team with that relies overly too much on the run game is going up against a team that's particularly well suited to stop the run. And in football, matches matchups like that matter much more than baseball. And so for each game, there is a adjustment, and that the amount that adjustment is weighted depends on a the degree of the mismatch and b the type of mismatch. Mm. Okay. And and then too, I will say uh, each home field is its own number. So like Arrowhead and Seattle and Foxborough and Denver are I think close to like 3.8 or something. And teams like the Chargers or anyone else with shitty home fields down closer to like 2.4 or something. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But home field is a moving thing depending on where it is. Can you explain home field in football? Um, as part of the point spread? No, I just mean like, is it is it literally just like the energy of the crowd? You're feeding on the energy, oh, or does it have oh, more to do with travel, sure. more to do with where you slept um, the night before, how you prepared for the game, things like that? Yeah, there's a good piece. Actually, it's it's about baseball. Um, I might actually tweet this out because it's really well done. But it, it goes into breaking down each of those features and where the weighting comes from each. Um, in summary. I believe the conclusion is that basically everything you just listed is about equally important. Okay. Interesting. Cause I want yeah, def- to definitely, definitely tweet that out. I'm just, yeah, yeah, just for me. <laughs> <laughs> just no, no caption either. Just like the Eric, Eric Berry video. I love yeah. it. 
I love it. Okay, so this you, you gave me a bunch of things to ask you about in that because that was a good, a great description. Uh, when you mentioned the, uh, I guess okay. So first of all, uh, we have this discussion all the time with our good football friends. Uh, do you give passing mismatches and running mismatches equal weight, or is there a specific three to four to passing? I mean, how, how do you go about? passing versus running and uh, does, does running matter <laughs> basically do running backs matter it's been the year uh, of does running not, matter not, well running backs no not at all <laughs> but uh run game so it with each game there's a level of certainty for the teams before going into mismatch just on the power numbers and running is linearly more important for teams that are favored for obvious reasons. If they're more likely to get ahead, it's more important for them to be able to run well and efficiently in the second half um, to drain the clock and keep the lead. And so, and likewise, passing is more important if you're going to be behind. Um, There's not that much difference in waiting, but it does account for that. And then I, I guess one other point, I think I mentioned this, but the adjustment for the mismatch is proportional to the amount of mismatch there is ah, i love that okay yeah. okay yeah. i love it um i love this okay so the um pivoting right into the season upcoming uh given what you've done homework wise so far on the nfl are there a handful mm-hmm. of teams that you're higher on than most a handful of teams that you're lower on than most yeah, I I feel like a dumbass being this far off, but I, I'm just trusting what I've built. It has the Vikings as the best team in the NFL. Um, oh, no. Which creeps people <laughs> Andy, out. Andy, oh, that's, you that's okay? accurate. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to get I'm any soaps up here. Yeah, so... Oh, God, yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> um, I'm, I think part of this is... So some people, when I was talking about baseball, separate luck and skill-based events, have tried to do that for football and said, uh, "Forget about it." If yeah. if you're good at like red zone defense, is that skill or luck? Like, should you eventually go back to how you, good you are at real defense or league average? And same with like third down defense. Yes. And I, my model does not separate those. My model very much weights third down and red zone defense as a skill. Yes. And the I don't think the media nearly talks about enough, um, and it's it's too bad because I think they're historically going to be very underrated. But last year's Minnesota Vikings team is one of the best defenses I've ever seen, and my models ever seen. Um, particularly, it, it literally is mathematically the best third down defense ever. Um, so I th- think that's part of it. It has oh, yeah, cousins. even just the stats that they're spitting out yeah, every week. Right. First, third, down, they, third down conversion They allowed 25% of third down conversions or something last year. Um, just Truly absurd. unbelievable, yes. And they were, uh, and they were cousins all in the NFC title game. <laughs> yeah, I know. They took I, a lot of money from me on that Sunday. Mm-hmm. I had many Vikings tickets last year, and that was sad. But... Um, Dude, Cousins is a pretty significant quarterback. Cleaned upgrade. me out big time. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. And, uh, yeah, it has them as the best roster in football. So the, the path is difficult, but 14-1, to one, um, like it a lot. 
The, I, I totally, the division's t- like, at least Rodgers is tough. And uh, the NFC is easily the best conference and it's not really close. Um, but yeah, they, just on pricing alone, the Vikings 14 to 1 have value. And then one other team. And they just is, want an SP. Um, let me out. Before you go to your yeah. next team, let me offer a rebuttal sure. on the Vikings because okay. the, uh, the people in the know would tell you Cousins uh, overrated. Not as significant an upgrade over Keenum, at least last year's Keenum. Maybe that's not the real Keenum. Maybe he had a particularly good season. But Cousins maybe not uh, as good as people will expect. Um, doesn't have a very good record against winning teams. Uh, and, um, you know, maybe uh, especially uh, handicapped by an offensive line that is um, – well below average right and mm-hmm. cousins under pressure is a question mark so that that those are some narrative points i've heard on the vikings the other thing that's been big is their schedule is very very tough yeah. uh they did not have a particularly tough schedule last year they did not have particularly tough situations they were put in in on their schedule this year you can say almost the exact opposite uh they are really going to be challenged and um you know, for those reasons people will put them in like the nine and seven ballpark but you're thinking more I'll, like I'll 12 a- and four um. Yeah, I think it's something like eleven point eight. But yeah, does, does um, your model say that defense travels? Just asking for a friend. Uh, they, <laughs> <laughs> uh, not I, in I, NFC I, Championship games. Um, yeah. oh, no, there's there's nothing extra with defense waiting to be more consistent on the road. There, that's uh, something I frankly haven't done enough research on but my model takes no account of that yeah i guess I, I, on the on the other hand there is there a team that your model hates and i guess in that's you know a pretty open-ended question as far as yeah I, I have relative to, to, relative to their win total or their odds sure, to win let me pull up the, uh, the odds here was there another was there another but before i interrupted you to give you the counterpoints on the vikings was there another one that you were high on oh yeah i'll, I'll add one third point i hate that shermer has gone i think Shermer's an incredible play yeah. caller um so, like really they got uh, Filippo, right <sighs> They I think the, so. Uh, they got the quarterback yeah, yeah. coach quarterback from coach Philly, from the right? Eagles. Yeah. yeah. He was a little um, bit of a miracle guy last year. But yeah, and to your point, Whale, like completely accept all of those rebuttals. Um, I think that's kind of why they're 14 to 1. Like for every team we're going to name in football, there's pros and cons. And uh, I'm just going by pure base talent level, but those are completely legitimate concerns. Yeah, there, there's um, no perfect team. This isn't the NBA. Great. Right, right. Well, um, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. One I'm pretty. I guess I'm pretty low on Pittsburgh. Yes. Uh, I think they're. I see them at eleven to one. I have their true at 20, uh, 19 to one, basically. Um. A a little bit low on New England, but not really. Um. Their defense yeah. has so many question marks. Yeah, exactly. They lost a lot of guys. Yeah, and uh, they always play that guess, guess preseason. One, so if you're going to get involved in doing that, let them play shitty for four weeks and then get involved. One we discussed earlier today with a uh, friend of the pod, Suma, was the Raiders. Mm-hmm. And I As think I had him. I had him eight. Well, I had him at eight and eight. What, what were you, Whale? Seven and nine. Yeah, yeah. 
Suma started at five Suma and eleven, and then he him, tried man. to talk us into they're actually a playoff contender. <laughs> he, he completely flipped. That's a sweet. Yeah, he went completely flipped, and I got his points. I mean, they were pretty solid points, and he, I mean, he's putting a lot of credit on the improve. He's he's I mean, I'm speaking for Suma. I mean, he he's probably he's sleeping. He's fine. He's or no, he's hammering away on his preview at the time. Be it was his uh, his content at the time uh, as we're speaking, but uh, uh, he made a very solid point because I was basically like their defense was trash last year. It didn't get any better. Like just changing defensive coordinators is not going to do anything. Uh, and fifth round out of Michigan, who um, you know presumably a first round talent with a weird heart condition, who you know if he. You know he has a he has a uh, a chip on his shoulder coming into the season, being drafted in round five, uh, playing on the D line, eats up a blocker or two. They can move uh, Bruce Irvin around to get him in a more advantageous pass rushing situation, and then keep uh, two and three hats off of Khalil Mack. Um, mm-hmm. That's going to make a pretty reasonable difference on their defense, and that that I get that like that's a that's an okay argument. Sure. Um, but I see you know their offensive line to me is old. Uh, and Tom Cable, the offensive line coach, is the worst offensive line coach in the league. Uh, History and of Derek, the league. Derek, Derek Carr, in a situation where Derek Carr is under significant pressure, he is atrocious. Uh, and so, um, you know, there's there's reasons in my book to, to sell on the Raiders. You got any thoughts? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's actually a pretty good segue into a a good reason against Oakland, which is my second team is the Chargers. Um, Ah. Let me double check, but I think they're the third or fourth team, (laughs) which is crazy. I I think I saw them 24 to one. Um, They've taken a ton of money. I see 28 Um, to one. 28 to one? Yeah. (sighs) That's pretty damn nice. Yeah, yeah, I, I... I think uh, it's extremely high on Bosa. I think Bosa is like the third best defensive player in this model. Um, Ingram's also great. Hayward's the number one corner. Uh, Jason Verrett's been incredible for stretches, just very, very injured. And um, like he's had stretches where he's legitimately been one of the three or four best corners in the sport. So it, I, it's assuming health. And the Chargers always find a way to not be healthy. Uh, and they've already gotten started. Yeah, they, they, they kept the early jump on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although I, I will say I think tight end from a predictive standpoint has not shown to be – production from the tight end position is not a great predictor of success. Like it's kind of like a cherry on top um, of your offense – and maybe this is me just justifying something my model likes, but uh, we didn't get to see Mike Williams much at all last year. And he can effectively, like Hunter Henry was not going to really be blocking. <laughs> so Yeah, no, that's um, true. Mike, Mike Williams can, if anyone listening doesn't remember, he had insane title game against Alabama uh, for Clemson. He's back to full health. It sounds like to full health this season, and the model is assuming full health. This is, um, boy, and if you have a shitty bad. memory, this is this is so tough. If you have a bad memory, because you say Clemson, Alabama title game, <laughs> and, you, yeah. and then you say Mike Williams. I'm trying to remember <laughs> all the Mike Williamses and all the Alabama Clemson title games. <laughs> the one Clemson yeah, one. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's getting later tonight, and I'm yeah. struggling. But now, now that you do mention it, that was a. 
that was a big missing piece. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm I'm with you, bull. I'm bullish on the charges as well. And uh, and like you said, oh, yeah. you talk about the path. Yeah, go ahead. It's go ahead. it's relatively low on all three of their division opponents: Raiders, Chiefs, Broncos. Like I mentioned, it's low on Steelers and a little bit low on New England. Um, so the path in the AFC is looks not bad. Um, and twenty-eight to one certainly appetizing. No disagreement here. Um, yeah, there's the Chargers secondary is legitimately scary, young and scary. And uh, if they're getting outstanding coverage from their back end, then Joey Bosa is going to be an absolute nightmare. Uh, we are we are gonna have to we're gonna have to do a whole bunch of gonna NFL have, previews. I know we're gonna have to lock some of these in before the numbers move much more. I, I think the charge the Chargers were at like sixty to one at one point or something. Crazy. Wow. Um, yeah. The uh, it's I think. Yeah, ask that guy from Fox Sports. He bet the stuff, Cowboys at like yeah, hundred to one. Oh my god! <laughs> I saw that, that was, come up on that, that, was, oh, that was the most god. embarrassing. You see the reply? Yeah, yeah, I got Seahawks thirty-five thousand to one too. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, yeah. The, oh, every, uh, the best part yeah. was he actually answered somebody who called him out. Where'd you find these? He said Google. <laughs> Man, you gotta be a little better than that. Yeah. Like, don't yeah. say Google. At least just name a sports book and say their old yeah. lines. I say I bet these a month ago. There's don't almost it's among the more annoying people on Twitter who post gambling related content that don't actually bet. It absolutely mm-hmm. drives me insane because you yeah. can sniff it out in two seconds. It is right. it's very very easy to tell. Um, thoughts on the Eagles regressing? Uh, this is going to be a hot topic all preseason. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's much. Let me look. I think it has, I see them at nine to one right now. I think what is my they didn't get a very tough schedule, which was kind of disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> if you're, uh, if you're like me and you're trying to recoup some of the losses that the Eagles took out of your pocket yeah. last January. Uh, yeah. yes, I was uh, hoping that they were going to get a little tougher schedule here, but it's kind of friendly. Uh, although there's a lot of people who will pick various, uh, other contenders in the mm-hmm. NFC East to, uh, to knock them off the top. Um, it has them, just damn talented. has them about as properly priced. Um, okay. And I think it's very high on Jordan Hicks, a linebacker who missed a lot of the year last year. And then, of course, Wentz coming back <laughs> upgrades them a lot. <laughs> before we do a three-hour podcast where we just ask you what you think of every single NFL team, we're pretty low on Seattle. Oh, I'm very low. That's, I don't even need the model for that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I am. Pete, if Pete Carroll yeah. might be God here. Yeah. Pete Carroll's 30 to 1 to be the first coach fired. That's worth 10 bucks. Now, see, yeah, the problem is, yeah, I'm going to review you on 50. that because he's buddies with the GM. So they're going to have oh, to they're both. Oh, they're both gone. No, they're both gone. In, in season, six. though? That's weird. In, cleaning them. Okay. Maybe it's, okay. A, maybe it's a thing where he steps aside. They're going to yeah, leave him on the tarmac. Situation looks tough. Leave six. him on the tarmac. I know what? I think I got Carol, Riverboat Ron, and some Dirk. <laughs> Those are all good looks. Um, okay, let's 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 pivot and uh, and wrap this up because this has been super useful and interesting so far. And I want to get this up for the people tonight to listen to uh, before the Open Champion, the Open Championship starts tomorrow um, across the pond. Uh, the third of four golf majors, the three of three. If you're me and you don't bet the PGA Championship, um, the uh, the British Open. 
Uh, played in. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa! Yeah, <laughs> you gonna hand check me? You gonna hand check me on that? The Open. The apparently open. Uh, you can't uh, you can't say British Open anymore. It's like a... people are saying the Open is wide open. Uh, I hate he played internet. in what uh, Carnoustie. Carn- <laughs> it's at Carnoustie. Yeah, Carnoustie. everyone will, you'll hear that fifty million times this week. Yes, um, most most famous for the 1990 Open, back when mm-hmm. Barry Horse was uh, a, a young lad. Uh, <laughs> I remember seeing the highlights of that. An all-time and, joke. Uh, all-time, maybe the all-time joke. Like uh, before Vanderbilt? that, they were probably like, "Could this poss- Is this possible that this could happen?" Yeah, Vandeveld needed to anything but a triple bogey, and uh, he wins outright. He hits mm-hmm. triple bogey, goes into a playoff, and loses. Uh, it had spectacular moments of him in the creek, in the trap. His shoes it was just, off. He's got shoes off. Yes, yes. I think he took off his sock. It was, uh, it was really something to behold. Yeah. So check out, and check Barry out Horse, if you haven't seen. Barry it. Horse very much wishes he was not so young for that because <laughs> if he were around, he would have slammed live bets on Lowry after witnessing that. Um, I don't know how you come back in the playoff after that. Yeah, seriously. Uh, uh, I don't think the French have really had a contender in golf since then. Um, no, so he he affected a whole country. Uh, <laughs> it took them it took them till this World Cup to get back in the winner's circle. Um, what do you think? You're a golf guy, right? Uh, huge. Uh, easily, well, now it's my favorite sport to play. Um, I should we go over a little bit about how that model works? And then if you want to, or you just want to kind of give us your thoughts about golf sure. in general. I'll just, this, I'll bring up a name. Tournament. Yeah. Um, I'll just say, I'm not going to go nuts and bolts of how it works, but I think by far with tournaments, people overrate and get too cute with looking about course factor and recent form instead of just looking at how good someone is. Uh, I think <laughs> two talent level should certainly be the baseline of everything. I think people before placing any bets just skip over all of that and just look at all right it's the open when you find like players who hit low flight path flight, uh ball flight and um way over complicate things uh so i guess i mean everyone's gonna want to talk about tiger <laughs> uh 30 to I, 1 and five times shockingly that yeah so i've bet against tiger a ton this year in matchups with other players um and was planning on doing that this week until actually paying attention to what his stats are and he's actually like very legitimately good <laughs> i think uh because because of the you standards... were you weren't around you weren't around when he was like the best golfer yeah. in the world i guess yeah. breaking tiger woods okay <laughs> yeah. Because of the standards he's held to after seasons like 2000, 01, 06, 08, really anything from 97 to 08, uh, uh, he's basically been in contention three times this year, and that seems like a disappointment. But uh, his stats all around are pretty incredible. Um, Top five in a lot of important things like uh, approach the green, um, proximity from important wedge distances. Uh, He's actually ball striking – with the irons at least looked very good his problems have been big driver misses and then occasionally some bad putting um this is probably way too cute (laughs) and inside baseball but if you want to impress your friends (laughs) when you're if you're watching this weekend 
Tiger typically in opens throws some lead tape on his putter. He famously has won all his majors with his Scotty Cameron putter. Um, he's using a mallet putter this week with a little more weight and grooves in the face. And uh, the ball gets going a little quicker. And this is for anyone who doesn't golf really boring. <laughs> but uh, the greens this <laughs> week are extremely slow compared to what tour players are playing in majors and even on PGA Tour. And so um, he claims is some big equipment advantage for him. Uh, time will tell, but the, the setup really is pretty ideal for him. Um, I'm not backing him, but for people who <laughs> want to and have been waiting for a good spot to, this is not the worst. And I don't think you are burning money by betting on him this week. Taking him at thirty to one, all you really need is for him to be in contention after two rounds, and that right. that number is going to be like five, four. I mean, people are going to jump on the bandwagon faster than you could. If he ever has a imagine. lead, he'll be he'll be like minus money on Friday. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so you really just need him to be in like top five, a couple shots back, going going into the weekend, and uh, you can come back on the field with that no problem. So I'm fully on board advocating for thirty to one on Tiger Woods. I love that. Um, anybody else strike your fancy? My winner's Mark Leishman. Uh, his track record, I, I know I just got finished saying people overrate <laughs> track record. <in laughs> his current form is amazing, and he's great yeah. on this type of course. Yeah, exactly. And, well, that matters in the context of him being perpetually underrated by the markets already. So his true talent level is a, already a great source of value. Um, yeah. Top six in three of his last four opens, um, stellar form, unbelievably perfect course setup for him. Like we're we're going to be seeing four hundred plus yard drives all week with how baked out the courses. Um, I'm seeing him forty five to one, and I love that. I totally dig it. That is awesome. Okay, uh, Andy, you going to get any action on the open? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I just forgot that it's freaking Wednesday night, and uh, I know we gotta I've, do it. Today. We gotta get it all. I have not. I've got a few guys that. Uh, I'm not a huge golf guy. Any, I guess, but uh, but it's not like I haven't been crushing hole in one props. So, all right, let me ask you guys both a favor, Andy. Give me one guy not to put on my uh, make the cup parlay. Ooh, so how high would he have to be? Because these are all big minus numbers. Yeah, some somebody in the minus two hundred or up range who I should not put in my make the cup parlay. Let me pull up Gosh, the odds. I think God, is, I would not put Bubba. Is he in there? Yeah, probably. he he's he's like a ninety to one, so he'd be. He's probably kind of, in my minus two something. He's yeah. minus okay. minus one eighty, minus two fifty. Pull up odds. Okay, Bubba's no idea there. I'm gonna. You know who else I'm gonna throw out? Danny Willett. Danny Willett. Okay. No problem there. I don't I mind throwing that Danny Willett out. Out the window. Yeah, I'll – this is – like when we talked about the Masters and I had a huge Masters card and I live bet the Masters and I was betting after rounds and I made money on the Masters and I paid attention. Then we got to the U.S. Open and I had a few outrights and I ended up making just a little bit on some of the head-to-heads and props and – I didn't pay as much of attention. This one, like I just said, it snuck up on me. So oh, I'll probably yeah, have, I have I have a few guys I like, but it'll be pretty small bets. I like just watching maybe well, a lot. Just to be safe, I, I might not put Justin Thomas in. His no track record. 
pretty sketchy in the open thus far. No, no JT uh, and no Bubba. That, that's without uh, any analysis. That's kind of just a... I am uh, the last two 16-player make-the-cut parlays I've made. I went 15 out of 16. Oh. Uh, <laughs> John Rom got me at the U.S. Open. Uh, and who got me at the Open last year? Louis Ustazen got me at the Open last year. Um, so I'm not going to be putting John Rahm or Louis Ustazen <laughs> in anything had, either. And you had Sergio in yours for the Masters. I, oh, I had Sergio. Yeah. Sergio did Just, really well yeah, for me in the Masters. That, one, was, that, was that, was, that was fantastic. At least you didn't have to pay attention to that parlay on day two. No, that was well <laughs> well dead. Um, okay. I remember, though, that the Open is a really good one to do to, to swing on the make-the-cut parlay because the rules allow a lot of guys times, to make the cut. 70 plus times, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a big yeah. scoop. And there's a bunch of really terrible European players in this yes. uh, field. So yeah. if you're kind of spraying the board with relatively good, well-known PGA guys, you're going to be uh, you're going to you're going to you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna hit some winners here. Um, I've been okay, I've cool. been betting rows so many times. I love watching the Open. I love. I think it. I'm oh, going go. go. go to put I'm going to put him in again. Yeah, you got. It. I, just, I, I do. It. I've done it guy. so many times. He's he's due. Rose is your <laughs> that's, that's yeah. models can model say that someone's due yes of course <laughs> <laughs> the due factor is, maybe, a, yeah, huge, maybe, is a huge if it's a model going when a woman's yeah. gonna give birth it's the first line of my program the due factor of course if factor. you forget that you might as well stop yeah um okay uh i love watching the open it's so great i mean it's just like wimbledon it's just like the tour de france like when you get up on the mm -hmm. west coast and you're just like turn on the television and meaningful sports yeah. is on like it's the best no distraction. Uh, yeah yeah it is so great so i'm i'm excited to watch the open uh and at, at carnoustie hopefully we see some late round drama uh like we have in years past hopefully tiger woods picks up a 30 to 1 winner for us um before we let you go, it would be unfair for the listeners and for myself and Andy, who are supporters of the uh, cryptocurrency movement, uh, not to ask you a little bit about Bitcoin, uh, being that you seem to sure. have a very, very uh, rich history with Bitcoin and a good understanding of uh, where we are, where we're going. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned before that uh, uh, you're risk adverse and... Um, you know, it's funny that you're into sports betting in Bitcoin and I laugh, but then I was thinking, it's like, you talk to the right people and they'll tell you you're risk averse for not holding Bitcoin, uh, given yeah. where we're going and how uh, fast things yeah. are changing and the instability of financial institutions in the world right now. Um, so with that, let me ask you an important question. Uh, when moon? <laughs> Please, sir. Me family. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I come from zero econ or financial background. Um, my I have been working and spending time developing and contributing to Bitcoin for four years now. Um, and so I, I understand and appreciate and love all of the technology and cryptography. Um, I guess my like <laughs> quickest like thing i could say is just that i think bitcoin the protocol is one of if not the most important innovations since the internet and potentially longer um and bitcoin the token the thing that has a price that people care about uh demonstrates very very bubbly characteristics 
um, all of the network effects for its growth in price are really self-reinforcing. And so when it moons, it really moons. And um, I, if you want my opinion, I don't think we're even close. Um, I, I, if you look at where other money sits in the world right now, I think a $1 trillion market cap for Bitcoin is fairly conservative. And that would make the price of each token like $48,000. Um, that's like, honestly, on the conservative end. Um, I, I, I don't want to use this podcast as a platform to like preach or tell you what to buy or do. Um, Too late. If you want, <laughs> you know, if, if you want information already, on the liquid, technology. I've already liquidated my 401k. I'm just sorry, go, ahead. go ahead, please. If, if you want information on the technology, someone who's far better at communicating than me named Andreas Antonopoulos is a great person to follow or look up on YouTube. Um, and he explains everything so eloquently. Uh, for more of a financial perspective, there's so many guys. Um, but really, it's kind of a decision I think everyone should make for themselves. Um, Are you a fundamental uh or technical analysis guy? Um, both. I guess okay. I hodl on fundamentals and I may or may not have had a fairly high leverage long this week at 6850. Um, nice. Technical signals. But, nice. Uh, <laughs> that is great. But yeah, I, I, I stay, even that's like very, uh, very tight stops and very rare, like that's the first trade I've made in months. Um, oh, it's well, well, straight, well, 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 given that we were, uh, you know, we had a week off of baseball, I think you probably yeah. uh, made up for that and more with a long at 68. Um, so well done. Um, <laughs> do you dabble at all in all in the altcoins? Uh, I have, um, you got some so, small bags. and separating, <laughs> separating, so like 99.9% .9 of them are comp either. Uh, useless, like well-intentioned but useless, um, complete pieces of shit or scams that are like deliberately. What about the one with the yeah. dog on it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Dogecoin, frankly, actually, Dogecoin. like in some situations, actually, you could argue has technical advantages. Um, utility, like there's yeah, but ninety-nine point nine percent, even ones that are interesting or sound cool, can be accomplished much more efficiently and securely on the Bitcoin network um, without having like their own token to do it. So uh, there's nothing other than Bitcoin and Monero that I blindly hold. Uh, but yes, I, I have dabbled. I like it. So, so while, right. while I just called 99% of them pieces of shit, they probably will also moon at least one. Well, you know that, <laughs> that, yeah, at least, well, yeah, these, Owl moon once and then they'll disappear and then a new round of moon and then they'll disappear. It seems like there's kind of a, you know, I mean, it's a, it's, this is well studied and well, you know, well covered now on the internet, but, uh, you know, it's, it's effectively a capital raising measure at this point. Um, yeah. the, um, uh, are there a couple of like, if you could only follow one or two Twitter follows, uh, related to cryptocurrency, you got any off the top of your head? Yeah. I mentioned Andreas. Um, like if you, if you go to my Twitter and look at people I follow, just like look up Andreas, he's in there. 
um, he's more, I guess, bigger picture or technology slash like impact on the world, like what Bitcoin even is. Um, for price stuff, uh, it's t I mean, for fundamentals, one guy I really like, I, I don't personally know him at all or anything about him, but just I, I think his analysis is sound. His name is Chase Mayer. Um, those would be two people I'd start with. Nice. I love it. Uh, you follow Carpe Noctum at all? He's the only guy I know that Probably. the TA. That I, <laughs> I, I've, I've scaled back a lot of my crypto followers because yeah. it was just I have so, a whole, like, so weird. Twitter, just, I don't even know everyone's name. Yeah, it got so weird uh, all spring, and I just had to crypto stop Crypto Twitter the got noise. wild for a while. It got real weird, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's uh, great information. Best of, you know, congratulations on all the success. Really, Thank I you. can't. I, and then, like I said at the in the out in the intro, like it cannot be overstated. Like it takes balls to put a model and the guts of it, for the most part, the inputs, outputs, you know, all of it. Like put it out there for people to kind of pick through and nitpick and shit on, and you did it, <laughs> and it's performing phenomenally well. So I give you a huge amount of credit, uh, and um, you know, I think, you know, I. It's easy. The easiest prediction I can make on this podcast is there's big things for you in the future of this space if you want it. So, uh, you know, keep keep up the great work and uh, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks a lot. All right. Best of luck. Best of luck at the Open. Best of luck in the second half of the season. And we'll yeah, definitely be we'll def back we'll, tomorrow yeah, or today or whatever. Yeah, we got one game tomorrow. Yeah, and everyone's check out Sports Thoughts. Check out Sports Thoughts. Check out Barry Horse 29 on Twitter. Um, and um, it's, uh, we'll, we'll come call and come NFL season to get pick, pick your brain on how things are going and, uh, and get your thoughts at, at meaningful times in the season when it may be worthwhile to play some future bets since that seems to be your uh, forte beyond uh, everything else you're good at. So uh, with that, let's wrap it. Call it a day. <laughs>